0: Welcome to Season 2 of the Digitalization and Diversity Podcast, a show that tells personal stories and digital journeys of diverse people. My name is Adya, and I am your host. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Digitalization and Diversity Podcast. I'm Adhya, the host of the podcast, and today we are going to be talking about the topic of digitalization for inclusive learning in corporate. Through this episode, I want to address how digitalization can be leveraged as a learning tool by professionals and to facilitate the accessibility of career advice through online learning. And I'm so excited to have my guest, Heinrich Rusche, joining us on the show today. Heinrich is the creator of Form Learning, a YouTube channel on consulting and career with 150,000 plus subscribers. And through this channel, Heinrich shares learnings and experiences from his time in consulting at McKinsey and his subsequent career in industry and startup. Heinrich also offers corporate trainings on communication and helps young consultants to become successful in the first years of their careers. Welcome Heinrich to the Digitalization and Diversity podcast. So let's deep dive into the episode. I want to kick off by asking you your motivation. So what inspired you to start the YouTube channel Firm Learning?
1: Hi, Adia. First of all, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for the invitation. Very much looking forward to have this conversation with you here on your podcast. Quite excited for that. Indeed, the motivation for from learning. So to understand this better, I need to also think back at the time that I was in. So in late 2019, I left. My job at the time, my job at McKinsey, I was working there as a consultant in the German office in the end as a project lead. And I left that to switch to industry. So I had this new job. And while it was surely also as well a challenging job, definitely had more time available in the evenings. So I just was sitting at home in the evenings, didn't know really what to do with all the time. Of course, watching some movies is nice, but you cannot do this every evening, I reckon. And by that, judging from that, I thought, hey, maybe it would be just a fun idea to to do something on social media, maybe start a project. A couple of years before I launched an online course on the topic of yeah, slide writing, how to create presentations in the consulting style, so I thought maybe let's do a YouTube channel, expanding a bit more on these types of topics, talking about them. And this is where the idea originally started. So it's not that I had the big master plan. It was just a fun, silly little idea. I thought, let's just try it out. Let's pull out a couple of videos, see how it goes. I was, of course, worried a little bit in the beginning. What will people think? Will they make fun of me or something like that? So I actually decided to not tell anyone that I was doing that until I got 1,000 subscribers. That was my first goal. And then I was taking it from there and yeah, everything else you can see on the channel how it progressed and developed over time.
0: It's amazing to see how your audience has grown over time. And I can relate a bit to your motivations. I took a very different route, but similar in a way. Audio is more my thing than video, but hopefully someday I will do more video as well. And I started the podcast last year more as a hobby but also with the mission to raise awareness and share my ideas on how digitalization can be leveraged to create more diversity. And I really love the podcasting platform to get my messages out there. But of course, I have my day job as a manager. So content creation for me always has to be synced with my priorities and responsibilities of a career in management consulting. How do you balance creating content for your platform with the responsibilities of your day job?
1: So it's for sure not easy. It's for sure challenging. If you have a full-time job, as I have as well, then manage all the content creation in parallel. I think the first advice is to, especially in the beginning, really try to stick to one platform and grow that one instead of spreading yourself too thin and trying to do it all. YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and so on and so forth. And this for me, especially in the beginning, was YouTube. Now over time, I also expanded. Stick to it, do one thing. And then, of course, in the end of it, it all comes down to using the evenings, using the weekends. Frankly, having this job, and industry that I had at the time, surely helped me probably if I would have still worked in consulting. That would frankly have been much more challenging for me because the hours were just much more brutal. I just would have had much less time to make that work. But with a little bit discipline, for instance, creating a video every Friday evening, Saturday, as I used to do in the very beginning then it's possible. So it takes me about one day end-to-end to to create such a video. That's, of course, an investment that I need to do. I often my weekend is then spend on these things. But if you want to make it happen, there's usually a way to get it done.
0: So who is your target audience today?
1: Yeah, so I... Also, the tagline of the channel is how to become successful in the first years of your career. So really try to help young professionals, fresh graduates, people in the first years of their career, to indeed improve, improve with their career. And this goes into different directions. So one type of content I do a lot is really consulting-based skills. So the typical skills that you have in consulting, this is slide writing, professional communications, problem-solving skills, technical skills like these. Of course, these skills not only apply to consulting, but I trust that many other professionals working in industry, banking, or other careers like that can take value from that as well. And of course, I do think this is at least that that often people tell me that actually people are also more advanced in their career, often can take something away from the videos, at least from some of the videos, depending on the topic. So I'm happy to say, I'm happy to get the feedback at least that uh, I do think is quite appealing for quite some people, but my main demographic indeed is young professionals.
0: I am a big supporter of using digital resources and technologies to create opportunities, especially for yourself as a person. And digital tools and apps have helped me to grow my podcast and market it. And since we are on the Digitalization and Diversity podcast, I want to know how has digitalization and the use of technology helped you to grow your channel?
1: So great tech, great equipment, of course, helps. Using great tools, of course, helps. Actually, here I especially see a risk. And this is the risk that if you're interested to, for instance, start a YouTube channel, and of course, doing video, doing YouTube is surely the type of medium which is more tech-intensive, right? You need to create the audio, the video, you need to make sure the lighting works, you need to make sure that the editing works, then you need to upload it, and so on and so forth. So here, this is most tech-heavy, this type of content. I think actually that this is perceived as a barrier to many that they think, oh, if I don't have this great camera, if I don't have professional lighting, if I don't have professional audio, I cannot create great content. Right? And of course, then if you really do the shopping, then often it's easy to spend thousands of euro or dollar, literally, and which you get all this yeah. equipment. The truth is you can start with very, very basic equipment. Start with your phone, your mobile phone, get going with it. If you really want to do it just Record your first video this evening, this day. Do it today and upload it today, right? Just start your channel today and then see what happens. And then rather upgrade over time. Even if you have the best possible equipment, very likely the first pieces of content that you create, the first videos won't be great, even with the very best top-of-the-line camera. So you will need to develop, to grow, to improve over time anyway. So just start with what you have. There's actually, I don't think you need to buy anything at this uh, point in time if you just have a a modern smartphone. And then over time, if you see that this is actually what you want to do, just upgrade. Step-by-step upgrade the equipment. And then, of course, having high production quality, having the right tools in place can then just be extra notch. But the truth is also there are lots of channels who have grown tremendously in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of subscribers with very, very basic tech in
0: place. I completely agree with you. Sometimes it's just better to get started than all the thoughts which are going on in your head on like, how are people going to perceive this? Does it have to be perfect, especially when you do video? Audio for me was a bit easier, but I think video is really the next step. And I want to circle back to one of your points where you said that there's so many digital platforms out there break it down into some platforms which might cater more to your interests. So I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram and I focus my content efforts on these two channels. And I recently saw that you published a video on how to grow your personal brand on LinkedIn, but there are also so many more. So there is YouTube, which is your focus. And then there is Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and many more. And there are more which are coming out. So how do you prioritize which digital platforms to be on and to grow your brand?
1: So I think first of all, it's important to understand the different maturity levels of these platforms. Right. I think a lot of things have been said about, for instance, Facebook. So for many creators, Facebook doesn't play a big role anymore at this point in time. Which is, I think, also not necessarily justified. I think there are many great opportunities also for creators on Facebook. But here I must say, I also myself don't use Facebook for creator purposes that much at least at this point in time. So Facebook is a very mature platform. And the implications of that are, for instance, if you create a post on Facebook, if you have a thousand subscribers, a thousand followers on Facebook... Likely only 5% or so, just to give you a ballpark number, only 5%, so maybe 50 people will see this post. So Facebook is limiting the reach quite significantly. They're very heavily based on ads. Of course, Facebook wants you rather to spend ad money to get the reach on the platform. And this is typical for social media platforms at an advanced maturity stage. Similar to that is not as drastic, but moving in the direction is Instagram. So the reach of your content on Instagram has gone down significantly if you compare it to just a couple of years ago. Which is not to say that Instagram, that there's not a lot of opportunity. And also what I just said is probably not true for, for instance, the reels. So the short form video that Instagram is actually pushing quite actively at the moment. So here for sure, you do get lots of reach. But this is at least the maturity level of the platform. Just looking at this maturity dimension... I think it's always a great question to ask yourself, especially if you start out, what are platforms where you actually still can grow quickly? What are platforms that do give you lots of reach, even as a small creator? And this is maybe not the only consideration that you should have, but for sure an important a very relevant one. And from that perspective, I think platforms like, first of all, LinkedIn are very attractive. If you have a 1,000 subscribers, a 1,000 followers on LinkedIn you can easily get on average 2,000 views on your posts, right? So instead of 5% reach relative to audience size, you suddenly get 200% reach to audience size. And of course, that's only the average, right? And there are spikes and you might even get 5x, 10x the views. And where this is also very much the case is TikTok, where there are literally lots of examples where you have a completely empty profile, a profile with zero followers, And you create your very first TikTok. And this very first TikTok can get millions of views, literally. Again, this is not necessarily what will happen to you, but there are lots of examples of this is possible. So here, TikTok is also a platform that extends significant reach to you. And YouTube is somewhere in the middle, right? But I think understanding these different maturity levels of the platforms, this is something very important if you think about your platform strategy.
0: And I think a lot of people get started with it, which is really great because there's a learning curve to it, right? So also people who then venture out into the personal branding and the marketing space, there's so much material and resources out there, which is great. And you've been in the digital learning space for a while now, and probably even before the whole pandemic situation when digital learning actually got a big hype. From your perspective, is digital learning more inclusive and needed today in corporate?
1: I mean, for sure. For sure, it is in the sense that people want to learn. People want to grow. And it is surely not realistic to assume that every single company will always have the best teachers on the individual topics if need in their own company, right? So surely then people might just hire external teachers who then maybe can conduct some trainings and classes But of course, if you have large organizations and want to have formats like that on scale that you can really offer to your employees to develop them, to help them grow, then working with educational platforms, digital platforms is, I think, absolutely viable. And I think it's also no secret that there are several very big startups in this field. Coming from the U.S., they've now got significant funding. Some of them already got very significant traction. So I think there's a lot of going on in this market. Of course, then there are also all these other course marketplaces, course platforms out there. So lots of things happening in this sphere and a lot of things will still happen here. And we are still at the beginning of the growth curve of this. So absolutely, your spot on, Iradia.
0: Where is this trend headed? So how can companies improve their digital learning platforms and adopt more of digital learning into their training curriculums, which traditionally have been a rather classroom based.
1: So I would say that many large companies already do a lot of things here, right? So most onboarding programs of every large blue chip corporate organization, I would claim is already at least partially e-learning based. So of course, you might still have some in-person sessions, in-person onboarding sessions. And I think these, of course, have a lot of value as well. And I wouldn't recommend any of these companies to just replace all of them unless, of course, you're building a fully digital and virtual organization. Many are already adopting e-learning for the onboarding, right? So the question is rather, how can you create winning and great formats beyond that, that really also deliver the right skills, the right information to the people when they need it and also how new technologies, for instance, then arise over time. And here, I think video-based courses surely are the best format that at least I can think of in order for this to work.
0: I have spent six years in management consulting and slide creation is still a crucial activity of the job. And creating PowerPoint slides and using PowerPoint as a medium of communication is very much integral to the consulting business, as you said. However, I see a lot of tech companies these days getting rid of office products. For example, Amazon and Apple, and I think that it was a quote of Steve Jobs that people who know what they're talking about don't actually need PowerPoint. And some smaller organizations are adopting more agile digital tools like mural boards to facilitate full meetings. I would like to know what are your thoughts on the future of PowerPoint as a key business tool in organizations?
1: So I think first of all, it's important to understand that PowerPoint is just a medium, right? a medium that you yeah. can use to deliver your messages, to deliver your content. And the focus of the whole thing surely shouldn't be the, the great design of a, of a PowerPoint slide, but rather the message that's behind it. And PowerPoint can be, in my humble experience, an extremely effective medium in order to transport your messages, in order to communicate. If you are well-versed in how to create these type of slides. And the reality here is also that I'd claim that the majority of people, even the majority of professionals working in large corporate companies, just are not really good at using PowerPoint in an effective way, which is why then also it just has this bad reputation that often is not really clear. It just messes up thoughts instead of really providing clarity. But this is, I think, rather a problem of how to use the tool than the tool itself. That being said, if you feel like what's better suited to your message is not a slide presentation, but maybe just a text vertical, a memo, a memorandum, for instance, that's very viable, very great as well. I know that you just mentioned Amazon. I think that's a well known example that rather adopted this style of communication. But here as well, writing a strong memo, writing a strong text vertical. Is not necessarily easy. And I think many people just also are not really good at it, right? So this is also a skill in itself that needs to be honed and practiced. But of course, if you're good at it, go ahead, do that. What I'm also noticing is the trend of I think you mentioned Miro, the tool, right? So this this yeah. digital whiteboard tool style of communication where you have lots of Stickers, right? Flip, color colored stickers on the page, and everything is a bit like brainstorming style and creative. I've seen the use of these types of things as well. Though, to be honest, I'm always wondering whether this isn't just a different way yeah. of just hiding your content behind a new medium, because very often, very much less clear what actually someone wants to say if you just see a collection of random stickers with a couple of words on them. Yeah. This is, I think, great tool for brainstorming. But actually, I've also seen lots of, in my humble opinion, not really appropriate uses of this tool where you actually try to hide very mediocre content behind the the colorful facade of lots of little funny stickers or stuff (laughs) like that.
0: Yeah. The way of work has really changed in the last two years and the future of work topic has been a big one in the past year. Also for management consulting firms, as we enter into a new chapter post the pandemic, how do you see this changing the consulting business? Because you follow the management consulting business quite closely. When it comes to personal interactions through in-person meetings with clients versus remote work, where do you see that the trend is headed?
1: So I mean, clearly, at least what the, all the consulting firms at the moment are doing is that they're trying to approach really a project-by-project approach, where depending on the client preferences and partially maybe also the team preferences, they might decide that they still have the old model where you are on site most of the time, or I think more and more adopting a hybrid model, where people can also work from home, can work from home office, and then maybe only a couple of days per week, if at all visit the client. So I think this is what's currently happening. And this is, of course, very different than the, the model pre-COVID. If I remember, if I look back at my projects, the number of weeks where I didn't work client side, where I wasn't co-located with the client in an office, where I wasn't located in the client headquarters or the client site where I was based, it was really just a couple, a handful of weeks in the six years that I spent at McKinsey and consulting. So this is, I think, a very significant change. And I'm also wondering what this means. right? And frankly, I think it's too early really to say. I can just say from my humble perspective first, the fact that I was spending so much in-person time with clients was very instrumental to my personal learning experience, to what I got out of my time in consulting. And of course, it was stressful. Of course, it was tiring. It meant spending lots of late evenings uh, with the client or just alone with the team in these rooms. So it wasn't always enjoyable for sure. And I 100% agree that the comfort of just sitting at home in your home office is 300% higher. But I'm convinced that my personal learning experience would have been only the fraction if I wouldn't have spent that much time that close two clients because it's surely very different if you can just walk over to the desk of a client, engage that person in, in some conversations, also informal conversations, whereas if every time you want to talk, you just need to schedule a meeting in advance. Yeah. So I think that's, that's quite a difference. And of course, it goes the other way around as well. right? So consulting is a people business. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the first years of your career, you can get away just by being a brilliant analytical mind, just by being very strong with numbers, very strong on the analytical side. But as soon as you move towards senior consultant, as soon as you move towards project lead, towards partner, it's all about the client relationships that you build. The clients need to know, like, and trust you. They need to know, like, and trust you. And especially this topic of liking you and trusting you, I think is just much more difficult if you don't... Spend all this time together, also don't sit together in the office, maybe also go through the one or other war story that you experienced together where you're sitting with a client together, working on some some difficult topics under time pressure that you need to yeah. deliver the other day and so on. So this type of atmosphere where you just meld together, accomplish things together while facing adversity, these type of bonding experiences are just much more reduced now. And I'm also wondering what this will do to the consulting profession, frankly.
0: Definitely. Hybrid work models are the future, but the degree to which in-person versus remote ways of working are going to gain precedence is still yet to be seen. And there is a lot of flexibility, but as you said, that the stakeholder relations in any business, which is service oriented, definitely needs a very good degree of personal interactions as well. And I'm going to bring up the topic of diversity at this point, because my observations from global consulting firms is that the world of consulting tends to be very white and very male, especially in senior management and executive roles. And you have worked for one of the biggest consulting companies in the world. I want to know first your perspective. So why do you think that diversity is lacking, especially at the
1: top. Sure. And uh, I mean, what you're describing is, of course, absolutely true. It's just the fact that uh, the majority of consultants are still male. If you then look at the numbers, most firms have the situation that actually on the more junior ranks, the share of women is much higher than on the more senior ranks. So that's the case, of course, as well. And here, whenever you find these types of situations, you can always look at it from two sides, right? So the one side is that you ask yourself, not looking from the candidates so the woman in this perspective, what are the reasons that then the women, for instance, decide to not continue working in the consulting firm over time? And what are things that then the consulting firm could do to, for instance, just make it a, a more attractive workplace also for women to then continue to stay with the firm. So that's the one perspective, I think. And then the other perspective is to ask yourself whether there are any conscious or often, of course, also unconscious biases, unconscious maybe structural discriminations in place in the workplace that just make it more difficult for women to advance here, to advance the ranks in a consulting firm. Probably both of these sides are valid and there will be a mix of all of these sectors. And that's, of course, an issue because I'm also a big proponent of mixed teams. I strongly believe that the mixed teams have a better team culture, probably also more effective in problem solving, come up with better solutions. And I think it's a pity that this is still not being solved in consulting, though to be fair, just if I look at the initiatives, so when I started in consulting in 2013 to now, I think a lot has already improved. We're just looking at the numbers, but surely not yet enough.
0: There are a lot of campaigns since the onset of the pandemic. I see a tremendous increase in the formal roles which have been created around diversity. So there are all kinds of like diversity leads, DEI consultants, HR managers, which are taking the additional responsibility of improving diversity also within consulting teams and getting more women or other minorities into the consulting pipeline. Where do you still see that there are gaps or challenges that consultancies are still going to need to overcome to be truly diverse in the long term?
1: So here I can only tell you what some women told me, right? That I worked with in the past, what, what yeah. their decision-making process was. Mm-hmm. And of course, now I not at all want to pretend that I know what women think of here, right? Of course, this is very <laughs> yeah. diverse. And so I don't want to speak at all here for for the women out there. But just what I've heard, and I think this is true actually both for the male side and the women's side, that Mm -hmm. probably the number one reason why consultants quit over time is just the work-life balance. And frankly, I think this for sure didn't improve since COVID. There might be no more uh, home office time, but then also in the home office, this doesn't mean that you have more free time. I and mean, that's just what I hear. Actually, I actually have many people who tell me actually work-life balance worsened since COVID because now you don't even have these logistics times in between anymore just to wind down a bit in the plane where no one can call you and so on. But you're more or less back-to-back in meetings from early morning until late, late at night. This is at least what I know often here. But looking at that, that actually work-life balance is the issue some women, maybe not everyone, but some women then maybe want to make it a bit more priority to think about family, right, to to focus more on these aspects of life. And then it will be especially challenging for them to continue working in this very, very tough environment. And of course, we would be absolutely right to say, well, but that's the same thing for men as well. Mm -hmm. But whether we like it or not, I think just the truth, at least in Western Europe, that it's still the fact, right, that surely the family side of the work still being done, still being carried by by women. That's at least the majority of the case. I would also love to see a world where this changes. I would love to see a world where men take this equal responsibility, take also their equal share of the work. But I think we all know that it's just the fact that we are not there yet. And I think at least part of the answer, surely not the full answer, but part of the answer is this as well, that just women make these types of life choices as do many men Of course, as well, but probably women do this over
0: When it comes to like work-life balance, there's only a limit to which workplace policies can actually help because expectations need to be brought in into the family and on a higher level, the society as well. But I think we are making a lot of good progress already in terms of transparency and getting more open towards flexibility with all the flexible work models and flexible ways of working and collaborating with teams. What does the outlook of firm learning look like for you, Heinrich? And I want to know, what are your priorities for the next years to come?
1: So, I mean, as I started it without the big master plan in mind, I still don't have the big master plan what exactly I want (laughs) to do
0: going forward,
1: right? So for me, so far, it worked quite well to just take it step by step step and see what happens, uh, what's going on here. So one thing that I'm expanding and growing with is this indeed corporate training side of the business. So I am offering corporate trainings on topics such as communications, slide writing, professional readiness, meeting behavior, and so on. This will be for sure something that I want to grow going forward. But this is only loosely connected to my firm learning work because I don't advertise it that much in my videos on my channel. For sure, what I want to do is to continue just create weekly content on my YouTube. I do want to become more consistent on all the other platforms as well. So recently started to become also more consistent on LinkedIn with creating content. Here, I'm just faced with the content constant struggle of balancing just my personal experiences, balancing these types of things just with my work responsibilities. Because, of course, I still have a full-time job and this doesn't often make it easy for me to get all this done. And, of course, if in doubt, I need to or want to also prioritize my full-time job. So this is just the the situation that I'm
0: facing. Yeah, maybe a podcast channel will be coming up soon in the next years for form learning.
1: Maybe, yes, (laughs) it might actually happen. I was obviously thinking about this for quite some time as well. Uh, At the moment, I feel like I just don't want to now open the next or start the next thing. Then I (laughs) will struggle to deliver on a consistent basis on. But of course, in general, I, I love the podcast format as well. Absolutely.
0: So let's move on to the rapid fire round of the podcast. So in this part, I will be asking you 10 questions with two options each. And you need to make a choice without thinking too much. And of course, you should not answer that. It depends because in consulting, we always want to answer that. It depends, but you really have to make a choice, but you can give a short explanation if you want to. So are you ready, Heinrich?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So we will start with an easy one. Number one, YouTube or TikTok?
1: So actually, I think that TikTok might be the future, to be honest. At least at the moment, I do enjoy the more high-touch quality type of content, more long-form content that you can consume on YouTube, which is my choice.
0: Okay. Number two, LinkedIn or Instagram?
1: I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. Let's go with LinkedIn.
0: (laughs) Okay. Number three, email or chat?
1: I don't like both, to be honest. Maybe <laughs> chat is a bit better than email because no one likes email.
0: The so number four, Skype or Teams?
1: Ah, I think Skype is really a thing of the past. Let's go with Teams.
0: <laughs> number five, consulting or corporate?
1: Consulting, at least for some period of your career, maybe not for your whole career, but I think a few years at a big consulting firm, haven't hurt anyone yet.
0: Mm -hmm. Number six, posts or reels?
1: On Instagram, definitely reels if you want to grow.
0: Yeah. Number seven, remote or on-site?
1: I do like the on-site experience. I will go with on-site.
0: Okay, yeah. Number eight, staffed Uh or on the beach?
1: Well, staffed, I'd say, right? So (laughs) on the beach can be fun as well for some time. But uh, I mean, we we work for a consulting firm for a reason because we want to be staffed and work on exciting projects.
0: So number nine, inside out or outside in? (laughs)
1: There's value in both, but I think outside-in is often the more interesting perspective.
0: And the last one, number 10, Spotify or Apple Podcasts?
1: I'm personally using Apple
0: Podcasts at the moment. Okay. It has been such a pleasure talking to you on the podcast, Heinrich. As a closing question, is there a final message that you would like to leave for the listeners?
1: nothing specific. Appreciate your time. And of course, if you are interested in the content that I do, I would be excited for you to check out from learning on YouTube or any other channels. Happy to get in touch with you.
0: Thanks a lot, Heinrich, for joining us today on the show.
1: Thank you, Adia, for having it. It was a pleasure. Very much enjoyed it. And yeah, let's let's meet again at some point soon.
0: Yes. Thank- all the listeners for listening in as well. You can find all the links that were mentioned today in the show notes. And as usual, I would love to hear your feedback on the episode. So please reach out to me on LinkedIn or Instagram and do leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for the next episode as episode number 10 will be the last one for season two this year. And in this episode, we will be digging deeper into the topic of femtech and opening the dialogue on female health at work. It's going to be an interesting discussion for sure. So stay updated by subscribing to the channel. Till next time.